Well, good evening, saints. Okay, we're going to start on the second part of this recording, by the way. We're going to start right about now. Good evening, saints. Yeah! Tonight is Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. We are now in our fifth installment in the series called Into the Darkness. You know, we've been learning a few things. That's true. We've learned how to send our sons into the darkness so that they overcome the world. Amen. We, we learned how to define success. And we didn't have to use a government website to do it. We used the light of eternity. And we found out that even when we're standing in darkness, the word of God will make us successful wherever we that go. That is a good word. We've also learned about the glory of suffering in the darkness because of the eternal accomplishments that it will in fact bring. We have learned that the scripture is sufficient as a light for our path in every area and at all times, even among these dark times we live in. Come on, somebody say tonight. Tonight. Tonight, we're going to learn something else. We're not only going to see that the scripture is sufficient, but we will see that it is absolutely and ultimately supreme. It is supreme in the world. It's supreme in every age. It's supreme in the life of every man lost or saved. Supreme in every way. We will come back to that point many times by the end of this message. As a matter of fact, our message is entitled Into the Darkness, the Supremacy of Scripture. Somebody say supreme. 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 Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 as we clinch with the darkness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1. Say supreme when you're there. Supreme. Come on now. Say supreme when you're there. DCD didn't die in this house, did you? Y'all got to wake up tonight. This is going to be a good word and we want you to get every bit of it. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Somebody say charge. 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 Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, listen to this, When men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Church, when reading this scripture, some things come to mind, such as in the darkness, men do not put up with sound doctrine. In the darkness... Men will pay liars to tickle their itching ears. See, in the darkness, they prefer myths over the truth. The apostles knew the scriptures were the supreme solution to this delusion. And in that, we learn that we need to preach the word. Come on, what do we need to do? Preach the word. Look, though it is getting worse, and it is, I want you to be at rest It has always been this way. In the darkness, the Bible has always been considered 
Well, a joke. That's what it's been considered. Yeah. Look at Genesis 19:14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, "Hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city." But his sons-in-law thought he was only joking. Wow. See, Lot was a man living in the darkness. But the supremacy of the word from God that was delivered to him, it saved him from it. it yeah, it did. In fact, Lot hurried to help his heathen sons escape the hellfire that would rain down from heaven on them. In the darkness, his sons-in-law saw the scripture as a kind of supreme joke. Let's all turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 16. 1 Samuel 16 and 16. We're going to get another picture of what happens in the darkness. Look at this. It says this, Let our Lord command His servants here to search for someone who can um, play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you're going to feel better. Wow, that was, that was excellent. Perfect. You can play an air guitar. You can play an air harp. An air harp. That was yeah. excellent. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Oh, church, like so many today, Saul had received the word of God and he knew that David did as well. In Saul's sinful state, he sought to be soothed by spiritual songs rather than be delivered by the supremacy of obeying the Scripture. Saul was soothed. Of course, he was also a spear-chunking Saul. He was never changed. See, the best worship songs played by the most anointed worship leaders satisfy and soothe those who say they are saints, but all too often, it is what Ezekiel spoke of in Ezekiel 33 and verse 32. Listen to this. It's on the screen for you. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs. Wow. With a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. See, so you hear that? They hear the words, but they do not put them into practice. Soothing spiritual songs are only as good as they encourage you to put your trust in the supremacy of Scripture. In the darkness, everything is a joke or a love song, and yet the Scripture stands supreme. We want to revisit a passage that we taught on when we were teaching sons sent into the darkness. So you'll be familiar with this passage, but we simply are trying to grapple with and clench with the darkness a bit before we turn on it, choke it, and put it underfoot. In Second Chronicles 24.20, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord... He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him. And don't you wish that line said, but they repented? But they plotted against him. And by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. 
King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see this and call you to account. See, in the darkness, church, so-called spiritual sons violate the word and then turn and victimize the righteous sons. Wow. We want to make, make sure that you have no misunderstanding about this. The scripture is supreme. It always has been and it always will be supreme. In a Z formation, just like that. In fact, the righteous sons will stand in victory in the light of eternity. Speaking of righteous sons, would y'all like to talk about a righteous son? Yes. We're going to get to John 5. Somebody say righteous when you're there. Brother, it was fast. That's a righteous brother. Righteous. Come on, we ought to be hearing righteousness around the room. In John 5, beginning in verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Meditate on that for just a minute. You will never see the Father's form, but you can see the Word of God. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his Word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. See, church, in the darkness, they didn't see the supremacy of the scripture, even as the living word was standing right in front of them. See, but neither could they overcome the one standing right in front of him either. Amen. In John 1, 5, it says this, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Come on. This pattern has always been and always will be. But the scripture, nevertheless, it stands supreme. So let's take a look in the book of Revelation. Everybody go to Revelation chapter 16. Amen. Shout supreme whenever you're there. Is anybody in this house glad that even when the darkness doesn't understand and doesn't comprehend, it also cannot overcome? Yes. Oh man, that's good news for the sons of God. Revelation 16, 7. And I heard the altar respond. Yes, Lord God Almighty. Do you mean to tell me even the furniture in God's house is speaking a message? It does, and it's a good message. The furniture in my house speaks a message too, but it's not a good one. (laughs) Mine says get off. (laughs) The altar responded, yes, Lord God Almighty, true, everybody say true. 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 And just, say just. 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 True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. 
Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. As we clinch with this idea, in the darkness men didn't change their minds, but they also could not conquer the king who is the embodiment of the sufficiency of Scripture. They all eventually succumb to his sufficiency and his supremacy. Yeah. Come on, that's a good word tonight, church. Let's look at the, Paul's letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 9. 2 Timothy 4, 9, and it says this, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, wow. has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. Church Demas initially saw the supremacy of Scripture, but he was seduced into being satisfied with what this world had to offer him. Men don't always stay faithful to the supremacy of Scripture. No. Not when they flirt with the darkness. But even when men aren't faithful, God is always faithful to His Word because His Word is supreme in the universe. Amen. 2 Timothy 2.13 says exactly that. If we are faithless, He will remain faithful. For He cannot disown Himself. And friends, His Word is His substance. It is Himself. That's right. it is. Church, the Scripture is supreme because God is supreme. Supremely faithful, supremely powerful. He is supreme in every way that we could possibly imagine and more. Scripture and our God is supreme. As we come out of the darkness and into the light of God's word. Y'all want to come out of the darkness? Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Y'all seem a little stuck in the mud tonight. I tell you what, raise your right hand, make a fist, gently tap your neighbor on the shoulder. All right, now everybody's woken up now. All right. We're, we're going to want you to go with us on a scriptural journey. Is that going to be all right? Yeah. Daniel, stand up and pray for us, man. Spence, stand up with him. We'll call this the beef team. Amen. Thank you, men of God. Mountains of God. Amen. Church, are you ready? Yes. Are you hungry for the supreme word of God? Yes. It is fitting that we remind you that men in every generation have seen, they've understood, and they've lived in the supremacy of God's word. Let's pull up the next slide. We want to read you something. This is an, an inscription found in a Bible in England. Amen. The Bible is the greatest of all the books ever penned by men. To study it diligently is the most worthy of all possible pursuits. To clearly understand what the Lord is saying to us through its pages is truly the most noble and the highest of my goals. Mm. The application to my heart, mind, and spirit of the truths, the Word of God through the Holy Spirit's gift of understanding and my subsequent obedience to that revelation is my supreme purpose and duty. Amen. Come on, doesn't that express a heart that says the Bible is supreme? Yes. I want to tell you it's supreme among all literature. It's supreme in its authorship. 
It's supreme in its circulation. It's supreme in all of its evidences. It is supreme in every way that it can be measured. Come on, church. Let's talk about it being supreme in its authorship. It was written over a 1,500-year span by 40 authors from every walk of life. Kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. See, Moses was a political leader, trained in Egyptian universities. Peter, a fisherman. Amos, a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Luke, a doctor. Daniel, a prime minister. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. And Paul, a Jewish rabbi and lawyer. See, and yet there is a supremely crafted scarlet thread that runs entirely through this scripture that is supreme. Come on. Somebody say, that's supreme. That's That's supreme. supreme. I want to tell you about the supreme nature of the scripture in its circulation. The Bible has been read by more people and published in more languages than any other book in history. United Bible Society's report from nearly 20 years ago showed that 71.5 million Bibles and books of the Bible were distributed around the world. Wow. That's more than 8,000 copies per hour and 200,000 copies every Day and night. Wow. And it's never been proven factually inaccurate because it stands supreme. The Bible and the scripture is supreme in its evidences as well. It's written on material that perishes, yet there is more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. There is an existence today as we stand More than 5,000 copies of the Greek New Testament from that time period. Mm. Altogether today, there's 24,000 manuscript copies of portions of the New Testament from that time period. No other document in antiquity even begins to approach these kind of numbers. In comparison, if you take a work like the Iliad or the Odyssey that Homer wrote, Iliad only has 643 manuscripts, and yet people don't question its authorship. They don't question its validity. The Bible is so supreme that it has stood up to the contestation of its enemies for a couple millennia now. See, church, the supremacy of Scripture, we've talked about it being supreme among literary works. We want to also show you how it is supreme in its purpose. If we can show you the next slide. This should be... Reminding you of our Monday night study here. Genesis is about the origin of all things and the election of God's people, Israel. Come on, say it with me. Say Israel. Israel. Exodus is about the redemption of God's nation, Israel. Israel. Leviticus is about the sanctification of God's nation, Israel. Numbers is about the direction of God's nation, Israel. Deuteronomy is about the instruction of God's nation, Israel. Church, I want to tell you something tonight. In addition to being supreme in its purpose, it's supreme in its aim. Amen. Let me tell you how. Tell us how, brother. Mm. Tell us. I'm going to tell you something. Tell us. I'm going to tell you that the OT records the preparation for Christ. Yeah. The Gospels record the manifestation of Christ. The book of Acts records the propagation of Christ. The epistles record the interpretation of Christ. And there's one more. 
The revelation records the coronation of Christ. Come on now. Come on, church. You might need to give a hand for that. That is simply too good to let go. The Gospels record the manifestation of Christ. When we say that, we mean they record the fact of His birth. The fact of His death. The fact of His resurrection. And the fact of His ascension. Come on, let's go on. Let's talk about Acts. Acts records the propagation of Christ. The birth of the church itself and the life and the mission of the church are clearly spelled out. Mm. The epistles record the interpretation of Christ, meaning the reason for his birth. Yes. The reason for his death, the reason for his resurrection and the reason for his ascension. Come on. Are you glad that he ascended? Yes. Let's talk about the coronation of Christ in Revelation. The coronation of Christ is witnessed in these ways. The book of Revelation covers the witness of the Lamb. The worship of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb, the wonder of the Lamb, and the wife of the Lamb who is... Yes! Come on, the scripture stands as supreme among literature. Supreme in its authorship. Supreme in its circulation. Supreme in its evidences. Supreme in its purpose. Supreme in its aim. And there's a good reason for this, church. The supreme star... The one and only, the supreme star of the Word of God is none other than Jesus Christ Himself. Can I get an amen? What's that name? Jesus! Oh, let me tell you who He is. Oh, He is the crusher of the serpent's head. He's the conqueror of the gods of Egypt. He's the culmination of atonement and the expiation of sin. Oh, You know, he is the recompense to Korah's rebellion. He is the revealed prophet of Moses, the ruler and the captain of the Lord's host. Come on now. He is Barak's war cry, Boaz's boldness, and the bravery that bested giants with little boys. Let me tell you who he is. He is the deity behind David's defeat of Dagon's puppets. He is the devastation that befell Jezebel's prophets. He is the demolisher of the deplorables in Elijah's fire. Oh, come on. He is the ark that can fit in a tent. He is the glory that can fill the temple. The God who can resurrect it all over again. He is the restoration of the nation, the preservation of the people, and the arbitration of the Almighty. Oh, He is the arm that can bend bows of bronze. He is the advisor that teaches us victory. He is the administrator of man's earthly duty in a heavenly war. He is love that is stronger than the grave. He is wrath that cannot be stopped. He is the one who shatters the nation. He is the renewal of hope, the revival of dry bones, and the rock that envelops the entire earth. He is the passion of the jealous husband. He's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the possessor of David's tent. Come on now. He is the rewarder of deeds, whether they're good or bad. He is the resurrected one. He is the reigning king of Israel. Come on, we're talking about Jesus Christ. He is the avenger. He is the apex warrior. He is the all-consuming anger against ancient enemies. He's the shaker of the nations. He's a slayer of the wicked. He's the son of righteousness. 
Come on. He is the victorious king of the Jews. He is the successful servant of the Lord. He is the son of man. Come on. He is the son of God. He is the ascended Lord. And he is the believers right standing. Oh, he is their sanctification, their sufficiency, and their freedom. Come on now. He is the exalted head of the church. He is the Christian strength. He is the fullness of the deity incarnate. Yeah, he, he is. is the believer's comfort. He is their glory, and he is the Christian's preservation. Oh, he is their rewarder. He is their blessed hope. He is the substitute. He is our high priest. He is the giver of wisdom. And he is the rock eternal. Yeah, he, is. he is our precious promise. He is the life. He is the truth. Uh, church, come on. He is the way. Jude portrays him as the advocate. And Revelation shows him as the king of kings and the Lord. I wondered what it was going to take to wake you up tonight. Church, when we say that the scripture is supreme, it is the highest in rank. It is the highest in authority. It is the highest in degree. It is the highest in quality. It is the ultimate and the final answer to every question. There is nothing like it on the earth. There is nothing like it under the earth. There is nothing like it in the heavens above. The only thing like it is the unique and only Son of God. His Word. Because His Word stands supreme before and above all things. Amen. Come on, somebody say that the Scripture is supreme. Scripture is supreme. Now. Now, knowing what you know now, let's talk about the sufficiency of Scripture in your life. Let's all turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30 as we get into this. Now it's time. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, see, it's one thing to acknowledge that the Scripture is supreme. It's another thing to consider what that means in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 14. Say supreme if you're there. Supreme. Says no. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth. And in your heart so you may obey it. Come on. Oh, I don't know if you're with us yet. We're going going to take you somewhere, but you got to stay with us here. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, this is the same supreme word that creates the world in Genesis 1. It is. This is the same supreme word that creates everything else that was ever made, according to John chapter 1 and verse 3. Yeah. Church, it's the same supreme word that holds everything together, whether in heaven or on earth, as mentioned in Colossians 1. It's the same supreme word that appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It's the same supreme word that John saw as a vision called the apocalypse in Revelation 1. While you're contemplating this, remember we're talking about the word he puts in your mouth. Because it's the same word that hovers over the waters and is powerful and majestic in Psalm 29, shattering trees and making the earth itself tremble. It's the same word that is alive 
inactive according to Hebrews yeah. 4. Yeah. It's the same word that in the Torah appears to the patriarchs. Church, this is the same supreme word that was placed in the mouths of the prophets throughout the Tanakh. It's the same supreme word that literally arrives on the scene frequently throughout the writings. Church, I want to answer a question that you probably had in your mind. And that is, yes, this is the same supreme word that became flesh in John chapter 1 verse 14. This is the word that has been put in your mouth. It is not a concept. He, everybody say he. He is a person. See, when the Lord gives you his word, he's giving you of himself. Yeah. This is a big issue. And we're going to slow down for a minute and make sure that we get this. In the West, to us, a word is a kind of abstract concept. We think of it as the transference of a thought. But in the East, a word is much more than that. When you say uh, a word in Hebrew, you could say it as a devar. If it's plural, devarim. But if you're going to do it in, say, Aramaic, it's Mimra. If you're going to do it in Greek, it might be Logos or Rhema. Why so many different ways to describe this? There's a big reason for it. In the Bible, the word itself speaks. In the Bible, the word itself arrives somewhere that it was not previously. In the Bible, the word actually says that it acts as a shield. It actually stands. The word is pictured at times as standing. The word can be placed somewhere. The word runs in Psalm 147. The word heals. The word makes clean. What we want you to begin to understand is it's not a concept he put in your mouth. It's a very real, tangible thing. This, this thing has mass. He puts it somewhere it was not before. Sometimes in the Bible, particularly in ancient Targums, particularly in the four or five hundred years prior to Christ, when it was being translated into Aramaic for regions that spoke Aramaic, everywhere that the word Yahweh appeared, they put the word Mimra. It literally means the word of the Lord. Who led them out of Egypt? The word of the Lord. Who healed them? The word of the Lord. This very well may be the reason that John picks up and says, I'm speaking to you about the word that was in the beginning and the way that it has become flesh. Because it was already associated with the substance of the deity. Now, when we say something is put in your mouth, have you thought about it that way? Because what we're talking about has mass. It can be touched. It can be felt. It creates in you movement. And that movement will have a momentum in your life. Nobody ever received a word from God, a word put in their mouth that didn't affect everything about them afterwards. That's bigger than a concept. Church, with that revelation in mind, with that definition of word that that Eric has just shared with us. Look at this passage that's on the screen. We're not talking about an ethereal thing far away. No. The word is very near you. As a matter of fact, it is in your mouth. Come on. 
This word, it is in your heart so that you may obey it. This word that is the very personality, it is the very substance of God is in your mouth. Yeah. Come on, come on, church. What happens when we say a word, it's just a concept. When we talk about love, we, we are trying to convey something that we feel. See, when God says it, you feel it. Amen. <laughs> it, yeah. it appears because he said it was there. Pastor, it may be that we use our words so carelessly, you know, I, when I was a kid and we were trying to be cool, we're like, hey, word up. Nobody knows what that means. They didn't know then. You don't know now. But it's provocative, right? We waste our words. We say we love chocolate. We love the dog. We love our children. We use our words carelessly. God uses his word very intentionally. When God puts his word in you, what happens is things begin to be created within you. Things to be created in the world around you. When God puts his words in your mouth and in your heart, there is something that is created in you. Well, God said something. Yeah, I will see that by, we will be able to see that by the things that are created in you. But it doesn't just stop at creation. See, when God spoke, he created this entire world. He spoke into the darkness. He spoke into the chaos and it created something. But it doesn't just create. No. When he speaks, when he puts his word in your mouth, it changes things. It does. Yes. It yep. changes it in you. It changes it in the environment. It yeah. changes it all around you. See, the word of God, when he puts his word in your mouth, when he puts his word in your heart, it creates something inside of you. It creates, it changes things. But you know what else it does? Man, it carries you forward. It does. Yes. It does. When the yes. Word of God speaks, it doesn't change tomorrow. It contain, it continues on and it carries forward in your life. It carries forward in your world. It carries forward into the generations. Oh, man. That is so true that the words that he first spoke that are recorded in Genesis are still having an impact on the entire stellar realm. The sun comes up every day and the moon shines every night because of the word that he spoke to it on the fourth day. That's the same kind of word he put in your mouth. What begins by God putting his word in your mouth? He has an intentional destination, a purpose for which it is to move forward. That is, by putting... His word in your mouth, it's going to create. It is going to change. It is going to carry forward with a momentum for a very specific reason. So that you may obey it. Come on now. Come on. Let's read it again. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. So you may obey it. When that, when that work of creating something within you occurs... That change happens when that carrying forward with the momentum of that word that started in your mouth and heart, it will display itself through obedience. I I want to jump in on this for a second. If you really believed what he was putting in your mouth is the same substance that created the universe. If you really believed what he was putting in your mouth is the personage of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't view it as, well, he gave me his word. And now I have to do it. That's right. Smell it. Smell it. Now take it. (laughs) You would see it as, my God, he loves me enough to be near me. He loves me enough to put what is his 
inside of my heart in my mind you would begin to see that the Christian is filled with almighty power that the word of God is the supreme source of power and truth in the world it's almost like pastor we don't have to we get to oh yes it's the highest privilege of our lives we get to have the supremacy of his word create something within us We get to have the supremacy of His Word change us. We get to have the supremacy of His Word carry us forward. The result will not only be that you obey it. Oh, it has a far-reaching effect in that. It will actually bring about the obedience for others. They'll learn how to do it as they see you do it. Let's carry forward to Isaiah chapter 55. And we'll say verse 9. Amen. Are you with me? You're not ordering a Taco Bell Supreme. (laughs) We're talking about the Supreme Word of God, people. (laughs) Oh, it's got more toppings than a Domino Supreme pizza. Oh, a Nacho Supreme. No, we're talking about the Word of God. Yes. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. Higher than yours. And my thoughts. Than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven. And do not return to it without watering the earth. And making it bud and flourish. So that it yields seed for the sower. And bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. But will accomplish what I desire, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Church, God's word is an expression of his thoughts. But it's more than just that. Yeah, it is. A lot more. It is a supreme expression of his substance. And that substance is supreme. Look, I want to just illustrate in a very nonchalant way. The difference between our words and his. If I say to my wife, you look pretty. This is, this is a way of expressing a kind sentiment, a a heartfelt feeling that I want her to feel. If the Lord says, you look pretty, somebody who was ugly just became pretty. (laughs) I mean, there is creative power in the word. He doesn't use his word like we use it. And when you begin to grab hold of what he is putting in your mouth, what he is filling your life with, you will see that it has the power to create something out of nothing. It will take a wicked man and make him righteous. It will take a broken marriage and fix it. It will take a barren womb and fill it with arrows that contend with the gate of the enemy. Come on, somebody say supreme. supreme. See, this is what we're talking about when we're talking to you about the supremacy of Scripture. See, you've got to get this concept and you've got to get it right now. You've got, you got to understand that the word that is placed in your mouth, it's a person. It has substance. There's, there's weight. There's mass that's there. And it's now in your mouth. It is now something that is on the inside of you. You have to understand that this word, that this person, that this word, is, it creates. It, it changes things and it carries you forward. Now see, this has got to have daily hourly every moment implications in your life see 
If you really understood this, if we really got a hold of this, you would not be concerned about the things that you're concerned about. You would not fear that God would not provide for you. You would not prevere that you would not fear that you would not have what you needed from God because once he said it, I've never I was I am old and I was I was young, but I've one thing I know is that I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. See when you understand this power, yeah. you know that his word that has substance, it creates, it yeah. changes and it carries you forward. Church, we're going to get this tonight. Amen. Look, we're going to put Isaiah 51 in verse 16 on the screen. And I'm going to ask my beautiful young daughter to come here for a moment. She hadn't had a public spanking in a very long time. Let's read this together. I have put my words in your mouth. Did you see what happened there? The word has now become words in the mouth. And covered you with the shadow of my hand. You know why it is such a beautiful thing to have God put his word in your mouth? He doesn't pick up a football and throw it at you from a distance and it get lodged in your face. He shades you with one hand. And he pulls you tight while he places something precious in your mouth. The relationship between us and our heavenly father allows him to hold you with one hand and feed you what changes you, what carries forward to change your generations forever. Now, when you think of eating the word of God, you need to think of something that will create in you what is not there right now. You need to think of what will change you to continue and grow. You need to think of what will carry you forward That is what his arm is wrapped around you with his left hand and his right hand is putting in your mouth. He's not giving you a thought or a concept. These words are not idle words. They are your life. Okay? When you are sitting receiving his word, you can go sit down, babe. Then you are in the shelter of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. If he's giving you his word, he's wrapping his arms around you in the very same moment. So where is the supremely safe place to be? Receiving his word. Amen. His words, his word turns into words in your mouth and his hand shades and protects you every moment. That's the picture you should have when you're hearing this. Amen. See, look at what else the word says. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 9. See, we've got to remember that we are his people. Look at this. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. See, I love that we are no longer talking about a word. We are talking about his words that are now being put into our mouth. See, these words that are creating that are changing, that are carrying us forward. Like in Proverbs 16, 26, it says your appetite 
is now working on your behalf. See, the appetite of the worker starts to work on their behalf because once he puts his words in your mouth, there's nothing quite like it. You become hungry. You want more. You want more. Well, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? I need more of his word. Didn't you just have some? Yes, but I'm hungry for more. And that appetite is now working for me because I want more of his words. If you're a mama in the room, throw a hand up in the air so I can see you. When you start feeding your children, at first you're excited about it and you want to put some food, applesauce or something in their mouth. More of it comes out, though, than actually goes in. It gets all over their face. It gets all over their high chair. They learn to fling it all over the house for sure. Yeah, that's supremely true. As they start to figure out how this process works, though, they start to want to take the spoon from you and feed themselves. They get into it. Every once in a while, there's a baby out there that gets into this. I mean, have you guys seen Yoshef? Have you seen Zadok? These kids like to eat. When you begin to digest what God is putting in your mouth, when you begin to get it, your appetite for more of it grows and He starts to bring it faster and faster to you. That's why when you first walk into one of our Bible studies, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I, I may have caught one thing there. That was a very long Bible study and, and I got like one thing. How does everybody know all of that? But two years later, you were stringing together 20 and 30 concepts. Your appetite for yes. the life-changing Word of Amen. God has grown. Says, do you all have appetite for more? Yes. Let me show you seven things from the supreme Word of God and what it does supremely inside of you. So from Jeremiah 1, 9 through 10, these seven things. That the supreme worm of God, word of God will make you appointed by the word you received. It will uproot things that don't belong. It will tear down the spoken lies of the enemy. It will destroy the devil's work. It will overthrow the devil's throne in your life. And it will build the kingdom and plant the word in others. Come on, somebody. That, uh, that little heptatic gem right there, that is, that is beautiful. When you learn the creative power of what he's putting in your life, the changing power of what he's putting in your life, the carrying forward of momentum power of what he is putting in your life, all you will want to do is have a supreme desire for the word. In Psalm 119, I want to pick up with you in verse 13. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. All the laws that come from your mouth. With my lips, I must recount. It's not what it says, is it? With my lips, I have to recount. No, no. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. 
The word that has created. The word that has changed. The word that is carrying you forward. It becomes your supreme focus. Because you see all that it's done. All you want to do is recount it. All you want to do is rejoice in it. All you want to do is meditate on it. It becomes your supreme delight. It is not a situation where it is a fearful burden and a taskmaster over you of all you must do. When it is working inside of you and you are recounting it and meditating on it, it becomes something else. Church, are you hearing this? This is not a command. It's a loving promise that you will not neglect His Word. There are far too many in this room that are thinking about only the failures. We're so afraid of failing. Do you know what the answer is? How to not neglect the Word of the Lord? You're going to recount His laws. You're going to rejoice. You're going to meditate. You're going to delight. The Lord is bringing us life and an opportunity. A promise that says that you won't neglect it. Keep walking in the supremacy of My Word and you will not neglect it. I will put... I will shelter you. I will shadow you. I will feed you. I will put my words in your mouth and it will do exactly what I promised that it will do. Come on, church. That is a beautiful promise. Amen. Let's go to Acts chapter 16 and verse 32. Say supreme whenever you're there. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all the others in his house. See, saints, the word appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. The word created in Paul an entirely new man and calling for that man. See, church, the word changed Paul throughout his lifetime. The word carried Paul and his companions all the way to Macedonia. The word is the supreme and foremost power in all of the world, even to the point that it changes nations. While you're looking at that scripture, glance up at this sign for a minute. Because what you're seeing is that the life that was thoroughly changed on the Damascus Road, that the Word got completely planted in, had an effect on the lives around him. To the point where Silas and Timothy... Standing next to Paul, who had a vision of a Macedonian man, they all concluded God had called them as one unit to go to Macedonia. And Acts 16.32 says, then they spoke. Not Paul spoke. Not Silas spoke. Not Timothy. As one group confident of the creative, changing, carrying power of God, they gave the word to the Macedonian. And that one man whole family got saved. And that whole family then sets out to begin a church that changes an entire nation. Do you know who the first church to give to Paul's ministry years later is? The Macedonians. The word had been carrying momentum in his life since the moment it was given. And now in the life of the Macedonian, it is changing the nation all around him. Let's all turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 14. Revelation 3 and verse 14. The word says this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write. 
These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. See, Amen is a Hebrew word for so be it. If you look at another place, it might even say, let there be. Wow, that reminds me of something. Saints, these are the words of the one who said, let there be light. Yeah. See, God is ready to create something within you as he puts his words. These are the words of the amen. He's the one that can say, let it be. And it is within you. These are the ones who is the faithful and true witness. Supreme in all that has ever been, is now, or ever will be. And the goal is that he is changing you. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the let it be. And of the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, God's word is the ruler of the creation. And he's given you a a supreme responsibility to carry forward his word. But before we even get to you carrying forward the word, think for just a second about your life. What are you missing? Now, if you just thought of something material, you're somewhat obtuse and you're going to have to grow up. Material things can come and go. You can buy them. Somebody can give them to you. What do you really need? Yeah, you know the right answer. But what I'm asking you is in your own life, what do you really lack? Because if you walk past a field and there are no orange trees and you want an orange tree, you go get a seed and you put it in that field and you nurture it and you cultivate it and you guard it and you protect it. And over time, you end up with what you did not have, oranges. What do you really lack in your life? Because I promise that the word of God contains, or rather is, the seed that will create it, that will change you, and that will carry it forward into every generation. When you look at your navel traits, there needs to be an Abigail answer. And if it's simply not there, what in the word of God that is a seed plants that in you so that it will create it, it will change you, and it will carry forward through your generations because that is what the Word does. Anything that you lack, the supreme answer to every question is the Word. Let's all turn to First Peter chapter 1 and let's look at verse 23. What Eric just laid out for you is gold from the heavens, church. Look at what the word of God says. First Peter one and verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. See, a seed creates something new. A seed changes throughout its life cycle. A seed carries something forward for new plantings in new generations. See, church, the word will never perish. The word will always endure. And the word is completely alive. Amen. Amen. The word in your mouth recounted, delighted in, 
meditated on, rejoiced over, becomes implanted in our souls. That word that is implanted in your soul, say my soul, my My soul. soul, it becomes an anchor for their souls. See, church, our hunger for the supremacy of the word is, in fact, the key to longevity. Your hunger for the word, for the supremacy of the word, is the key to longevity. Saints, I want to share with you uh, how a very familiar verse has demonstrated its supremacy and created something in me just in the last few days. It's changed the way I will forever see this passage, and it's carrying me forward into more supremacy of the word. Let's all turn to Matthew chapter 24. Amen. And let's look at verse 35. It says this, heaven and earth will pass away. Wow. But my words will never pass away. See, before this concept was made even more supreme to me. I was thinking about it as somewhere else, some far off word. Yes, your words will never pass away. But what about the words that he's put inside of us? What about the words that he's put within our mouth? Those words, the very real words, the very words that have mass and has created movement. It has going to do generational things. That word will never pass away. When the earth and the heavens have faded away, the word that God has put within us will never fade away. It will never pass away. Church, that came alive in me in a way that I can I can barely express to you. The eternal nature of his word will never pass away, especially once he's put it within your mouth. Oh, church, this encouragement from Pastor Wade is coming alive in me right now as I listen to him. And what it brings to mind is that the word that the Lord has put inside of me, the word that the Lord has put inside of you is going to be here when your cars and the stars, when your houses and the heavens are completely gone. It's still going to be inside of you. This is not just the word as a concept somewhere. It is literally the words from this book that he has given to you. Another way to say that for those of you that are familiar with this kind of... Those words that became a rhema, that created something new inside of you, that began to change you, they carry forward in your line forever. They're more real than the chair that you are sitting in. They are more tangible than the home that you are living in. One day those things will rot, but that word that God planted in you, it will never go away. Come on, someone say the word is supreme. The word is supreme. As we close tonight, let's turn to our final passage of scripture. It's John chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 48. John 12 and verse 48. It says this. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Wow. The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. 
So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Church, if Matthew 25 holds a man accountable for the deposits of money and the increase that is to be expected, how much more accountable will you be held for the Word of God that has been put in your mouth? Wow. At the beginning of this message, we made the charge to you. We said that tonight you would see that the Scripture was supreme in the world. Supreme in every age. Supreme in the life of every man, whether lost or saved. If the Word is what judges every man, then every man will find out exactly how supreme the Word is. If we take John 12 seriously... The Word is the supreme judge of all men, whether they ever accepted it or not. When they stand before the great white throne, they are being judged by the personage of the Word of God. Well, this brings us to a place where it's time to ask a couple good questions. Have you recounted, meditated upon, delighted in, the word of God that he has placed in your mouth. And when you look at your life and you see something that you think is inadequate, sinful, whatever it might be, do you just mourn it and walk away? Or do you seed it with the imperishable word of God that can create, that will change, that will carry you forward? Because you have that responsibility. Man's been working the soil since the first man. Tonight, you might have to tend to seeds already given. And you might have to receive seed that has been bouncing off of hard, unconditioned soil that would rather complain about what it doesn't have than let the Word create in them what they do have. Church, as we bring this to a close tonight, the question is, is, has he put his words in your mouth or have you been putting your own words in your mouth? Have the words of the Lord in your mouth made you a man, a woman of appointment, as Jeremiah teaches? Has the word been placed in your mouth that uprooted the things that don't belong or are there still things that are there? Has the word placed in your mouth torn down the lies of the enemy in the way that you think and the way that you perceive things? Has the word of the Lord put in your mouth destroyed the work of the devil? Has it overthrown the devil's throne in every area of your life? Are you using the supremacy of the word of God to build and to plant the very kingdom of God here on the earth? Or do you have work to do at this altar? The word of the Lord is supreme. Mighty God, right now. Lord, have your way within us. Lord, place your word within our mouth even yet again. Lord, that we might be people of appointment in your kingdom. That things that need to be uprooted and torn down 
will happen here at this altar today. Lord, your word is not only sufficient, your word is supreme. It will be the great judge of all men, of all women at the great white throne. Lord, and we're asking that your word will judge us now. That the seed, the imperishable seed of your word will go down into these areas that must be built up, that must be planted with your word. Lord, that your kingdom might be produced in us. Mighty God, have your way. We yield our hearts. We yield our thoughts. We yield our lives right now to the supremacy of the scripture. To the supremacy of your word that creates, that changes, that carries forward in our lives, Lord. May your word have your way in us.